you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. We are inside of two weeks to go before finally the 2022 draft arriving, and this is Tapeheads draft season. Bob Oshusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets, college football broadcaster as well for ESPN for the better part of two decades, which only means I have been calling college football for ESPN half as long as Greg Osell has been breaking down the tape for NFL films, the All-22 matchups each week during the regular season. But this, the offseason, there is no offseason in the NFL. I know I call it the offseason. This is draft season. That's why we're doing this <laughs> this podcast. But, uh, Greg, you know, we were just talking off the air before we began this episode that you're hoping to get a vacation day at some uh, point. Yes. And I'm wondering, you haven't had one since the late 70s, so I'm wondering why you think <laughs> one is coming anytime soon. Well, I know for certain, Bob, that I haven't had one since last August. That I know for a fact. The late 70s might be about right because I started working here at Films in July of 1979. So uh, uh, it's been it's probably been a few years. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, we're getting closer to the draft. And obviously, I know next week as we get real close, we'll return and talk a lot more about round one and, and the early names that we anticipate but I think one of the joys for me anyway, when I study tape, is looking at guys that I really don't know a lot about. You know, I've heard their names, obviously, but I really don't know a lot about them. And until I put the tape on and I find that, you know, the way I always describe it in my own mind is, you know, when, when it's virgin territory, when I really have not seen a player, maybe he's a smaller school guy. He could be a big school guy, but I just haven't had a chance to see him other than maybe on TV here and there. And for me, that's the fun of it. When, you, when you're starting from scratch with almost no preconceived notion whatsoever of what the player is. Yeah, we're going to get to a few of those guys coming up. Uh, but again, Tapehead's draft season. And as Greg said, for the better part of four decades, he's been breaking down the All-22 at at NFL Films. This, of course, the time of year where he looks at all of the college prospects as we get you set for the draft. And we've been saying this from the start of this podcast, and again, we'll keep reiterating it all the way through the draft. This is not your normal 
you know, let's do a mock draft podcast, right? We're trying to take you as into a much more realistic behind the scenes look at how teams put together their boards, how they approach the draft. And if there are some puzzling moments on draft night, why those moments shouldn't be that puzzling because teams have a strategy, how they put these draft boards together that on the surface may seem like they didn't take the quote unquote best player available, but coach system needs philosophy, trying to build a foundation to their team. All of those things are discussed in a draft room much more than, you know, when you see someone who puts together their quote unquote mock draft and who the next guy is available on the board. So now that we're about 10 days 11 days out from these teams actually being in that war room, handing in the car to getting the draft going. Uh, Great. Let's maybe take a little bit of a deeper dive into how teams philosophically approach the draft, whether it's teams towards the top of the draft that are drafting just the best player available, teams a little bit deeper that actually do look at need, um, teams that are much more complete from a roster standpoint and have specific holes to plug. What do you think are the biggest misunderstandings from the public standpoint, maybe even the media standpoint, about how these teams address the draft based on their individual circumstances. Yeah, I don't know if it's a misconception, Bob, but I think the idea of plus best player available is not the way the draft works. And the only way it works that way is that there's clearly a player who dramatically drops that someone has rated very highly. Like I imagine Derwin James was that player a few years ago. My guess is when the Cowboys drafted C.D. Lamb, they did not anticipate drafting a receiver in the first round, but all of a sudden he's sitting there at 17, I believe it was, and maybe they had him as a top 10 player on their board. But pretty much the way it works now, teams draft the best player for a specific need because they're trying to get better. I think that's what people need to understand. And I think it took me a while to really understand that too, is what the draft is about for specific teams is to get better at positions that they feel they need to get better at so that they can truly compete. Um, Remember when we had Mike Tannenbaum on a number of weeks ago and he talked about the differentiation between musts and needs. You hope you go into the draft without musts. You really do. Some teams have them, but you hope you don't. Then you look at needs because you have to line up on Sunday and you want to line up with the best players you can at every position. You don't want a specific weakness to prevent you from winning. So teams are trying to get better at specific positions, which is why I think sometimes when you see draft choices, Bob, someone might say, oh, they could have gotten that guy later, or why did they draft that guy there? Teams don't think like that. They're trying to get better at specific positions that are important to them. And teams group players, right? Like that's the other thing. They will take their top seven or eight guys and make them – tier A or color them blue or something, and they will color code the board. They will tier the board. So if they've got, say, the 40th pick in the draft and they really need a tight end, an interior defensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, they will look at the seven or eight guys, 10 guys, 12 guys that they may have grouped together as being worthy of being drafted that high. Yep. 
and then look at their roster and say, what do we need the most? Now, on your mock draft, there might be a tight end that is rated in that mock draft, quote-unquote, six or seven slots higher than the interior offensive lineman that Team X might draft in the middle of the second round. But Team X in the middle of the second round is sitting there going, well, we don't think there's a big delineation between those guys. We don't have to put together a mock draft. I don't have to rank the players one through 300. I've got a group of players now out of that group who is the guy that best fits our need. And I think sometimes, and Mike Tannenbaum touched on it, Greg, the most interesting stories that you hear from war rooms is when you get to that tier of players. So you're in the middle of the second round. You desperately need an interior defensive lineman. And there are one or two in that group of eight or ten guys that you've got rated kind of the same in the middle of the second round. But you spent a bunch of money at wide receiver in the offseason, right? And you drafted a wide receiver in the first round last year. And wait a minute. We, there's a wide receiver that we had in our top 15 on the board. And now we're picking in the 30s. Do we need a receiver? Absolutely not. We have checked that box. We spent our money in the offseason. We drafted a receiver last year. But now what do we do? Because we have such a prohibitively high grade on that player that is still available. And I think that's what Mike Tannenbaum was talking yep. about, right? When he when he referenced that Laramie Tunsil, for instance. That they had to make with Laramie Tunsil, yeah. right? We, we spent a lot of money on a tackle. Yeah. We don't need a tackle. That's not what we should be drafting. Yeah. But he's the number one player on our board, and we're drafting you know, 12, 13 spots later. And I think that's probably the most fascinating time to be in a war room, right? Where there's that tug of war of, do we need that position? No, but this guy might be so prohibitively talented. We have to go take him just because he's that good of a football player. And I think the other part of that is, is when you get maybe beyond the first round, obviously that does happen in the first round, as you just referenced. Um, But I think as you get into, let's say second and third round, Teams are clearly looking for certain kinds of players. Let's say you're a defense that plays dime with six defensive backs, 35% of your snaps. Okay, that's a meaningful number of snaps. And through free agency or whatever, you lost your dime player. That was really important to you. Okay, now he only plays 35% of your snaps, but that's a big number, and that's a really important part of your defense in a passing league. So – you might draft a player in the second or third round that's, you know, a draft guru might say, what, you know, why are they drafting that guy? But it might be really important to what you're trying to get done and what you need to get done. You know, and I think that's where the the later rounds really come into play when guys draft either for specific needs or the philosophies that we started to talk about a little bit, sometimes teams draft guys that have great traits, but they don't have great production and they feel they can turn those traits, those athletic traits into a player. Some teams believe Bob, as you know, that I'd rather draft a backup defensive tackle from an sec school than draft a starting tackle from a school that's not a power five school. You know, some teams have different philosophies like that. And that's the way they approach the draft, particularly when it gets into the later rounds. And there's really the only position that violates this entire principle is quarterback. Correct. Right. Like you said, quarterback has its own draft, its own philosophy. You either need one or you don't. Um, There are the Ron Wolfs of the world that always had the belief that regardless of the draft, regardless of need every single year, 
at some point, I'm taking a quarterback. It might be the fifth, sixth, or seventh round. You never know when you might uncover that diamond in the rough. If I see it, because you just can't have too much talented quarterback. And I certainly understand that. But that, I think, sometimes is why you see teams do two things. Reach for a quarterback, right? Go up the board to get a guy that you don't necessarily think warrants the reach. Or sometimes you might see a quarterback slip inexplicably, right? Because if the guy had a belief behind him league-wide, someone would probably go up and reach for him and go get him early. So it seems like there's a little bit more of a polarization of where the quarterbacks are taken as opposed to other positions. Yeah, and then what teams do, which I I will freely admit I simply don't have the time to do, I don't work for a team, is they have histories, they have track records of players and certain parameters by which uh, – you know, players do well or don't do well. For instance, I'll give you an example just quickly is you look at someone and you mentioned quarterbacks, someone like Sam Howell, and I'm very curious to see where he gets drafted. He's a six foot quarterback who essentially is a pocket player. Does he have mobility? Yes, he can move around, no question. But if he's to be successful in the NFL, he's not going to make his living the way Lamar Jackson does or Russell Wilson. He's not going to be that guy. He's going to be a pocket quarterback. So then you start to think, okay, if he's six feet and a quarter inch, which I believe were his measurements, how many of those guys, pocket quarterbacks at six feet and a quarter inch, have really been high-level NFL quarterbacks? Obviously, Drew Brees comes to mind. But now we're in a situation that's very newsworthy right now with Baker Mayfield, a six-foot pocket quarterback who is obviously not going to be the starter in Cleveland, and we'll see. But so you start teams think that way, Bob, as you well know. They think in terms of track record. What does history tell us about successful players? Same thing with things like arm length for offensive linemen. There's histories to all this, and teams refer to that when they draft players. Yep. And now that you have really done the deep dive film wise into all of the top prospects, right? We've we've gone through basically position by position over the weeks we've done this podcast, of the guys that we expect are going to be, if not high first-round picks, maybe first-round picks, at worst second-round picks, you're always looking for those diamonds in the rough. I was saying to somebody earlier today, I think fan bases of teams like massively overreact to what happens Thursday night. Yep. Whereas, like, you'll see all over social media, if your team needs a wide receiver and they don't take one Thursday night, the whole world is up in arms. How did we not take a receiver? We need it almost as if they forget, you know, there's, there's six more rounds of this <laughs> thing to go, right? We're not stopping after tonight. And so you've done a deeper dive. And this is what we're going to do when we get back into some of the players that we're going to hear, maybe their names called day two, day three, that could be difference makers and really might be diamonds in the rough. We'll do that with Greg Cosell when we come back here on Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We are back on this, at least for this week, opening edition of Tapehead's Draft Season. We've got another episode that will drop on Thursday. And former Alabama national champion, former NFL backup quarterback, and now an analyst college football-wise for ESPN, Greg McElroy, is going to join us to talk about the top guys on the board and what he sees from the quarterbacks, what he saw in the SEC this year. That's certainly in his backyard and where he lives, but uh, we're going to get to those guys coming up on Thursday, uh, Greg. We're going to you know, revisit all of the top guys on the board, but we, we are now really in the weeds of the draft, right? We are only a week and a half away from actually having cards turned in, the draft getting underway. It is not just, as we said in our opening segment, Thursday night. There are seven rounds to this thing, and teams that draft well are going to be the ones that really uncover those diamonds in the rough in later rounds, not necessarily at the top of the draft. So I know you've gotten through so many of the top prospects. You've now been able to go deeper and try and find some of those diamonds in the rough as well. And here are some names that stuck out to you. So let's run through a few of them and give me a little, you know, kind of Reader's Digest version on each of these guys, why you like them, and maybe how high you think they are worthy of going. How about a tight end from UCLA, Greg Dulcich? Yeah, he was very interesting to me because this is a tight end class that most people are saying is not high level. You know, there's no Travis Kelsey. There's no George Kittle, who, by the way, I think was a fourth round pick. Um, there's no Darren Waller, who actually came out of Georgia Tech as a wide receiver before converting to tight end. So you never know. But to me, Dulcich fit the profile of what teams are looking for today. He's got build up speed. He's got stride length. He can run the vertical seams. He can run crossers. He's a three level dimension, Bob. And I think when Teams are thinking about tight ends today, unlike it was 20 years ago. They don't think about inline blocking as their first attribute. They think about what can he give me as a receiver. And Dulcich can split out from the formation. He can attack all three levels, as I said. And you know me, Bob, I'm not good with where guys get drafted because it's very, very team specific uh, and scheme specific. But he will play in the NFL. He will be drafted. And his snap count and target volume will be a function of team and scheme. But Dulcich is a really intriguing prospect in this draft. We know we touched on Neil Farrell, defensive tackle from LSU last week. But maybe an additional thought on him because I could tell that he was a player that stood out to you. And it's hard to stand out in the SEC and not be thought of as a top 10 pick, right? I mean, every guy that stands out in the SEC you think is going to go towards the top of the first round. So how about Farrell? You know, 
I, I realize this will come across as a bold, controversial statement, and I don't mean it that way because everything I say is based on my sense of watching tape because that's what I do. But I did not think there was a meaningful difference between Neil Farrell, the interior D lineman from LSU, and Devonta Wyatt, the interior D lineman from Georgia. And only time will tell, and maybe I'll be dead wrong. But I really liked Farrell's tape. Um, and I thought that he could be effective in a one-gap penetrating scheme. I thought he could be effective as a two-gap tackle with, with his ability to, to control and displace offensive linemen, which you need to do as a two-gapper. And I thought he showed enough pass rush that down the road I could see him playing in your sub fronts. Not right now when he comes into the league, but down the road. So I think he's a player that has – Almost a complete skill set for an interior D lineman. You know, he's certainly not at the the highest level. We're not going to discuss him with the Aaron Donalds or those kinds of players, obviously. But I think that he can be a three-down D tackle in the NFL and to me was one of the best D-line prospects in this draft class. James Cook, Dalvin's ah. brother, running back, Georgia. Again, in an earlier podcast, we touched on him, his skill set. You know, it's a very, very deep and talented team. Hard to get touches at Georgia. I think he had about a 800-yard season or so rushing as a senior. But he also showed an ability to catch the football, right? Like he caught, yep. you know, somewhere I think between 20 and 30 balls or so last year. So when you're that kind of a dual-threat player at running back in today's NFL, what do you think about James Cook? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. He only had 297 touches which is runs and catches in his four years at Georgia. So there's no wear and tear on his body. And he looks just like his brother Dalvin when he runs. He, he doesn't weigh quite as much, although he did get up, I believe, to 199 at the combine. But he's still not a feature back type. I saw him, quite honestly, as very similar in the way he can be deployed in the NFL as Alvin Kamara when he came out of Tennessee. Now, keep in mind, Kamara, I believe, was a third-round pick. Um, so it was not as if people drafted Kamara and said, wow, this guy's special. Um, Kamara has evolved and morphed over time with the Saints into a little bit more of a feature back just by necessity. But clearly in Kamara's first couple of years in the league, he was kind of a, what, 140, 150 carry uh, a year guy and a receiver. And James Cook is that guy. He is a phenomenal receiver. You can split him outside the formation. Nick Saban, I know, knows that very well because he's caught long touchdown passes against Alabama when he was split outside the formation. And I've heard Nick Saban talk about him in that way, that he's a very difficult player to defend because of that. So James Cook fits today's NFL extremely well. Yeah, it used to be that the only way you got a, a running back, a ball down the sideline in space that way would have been to start him in the backfield and run the wheel route. Correct. I know that teams obviously still do that all the time because that way you might be able to get a linebacker mismatched. But, I mean, now teams make no mystery in the NFL about what they're going to do with their running backs, right? They'll go empty. They'll go five wide. But they'll do it out of base personnel with really good pass-catching running backs and really good maybe mismatched tight ends and hope I might trap you in base personnel defensively and then use these athletes in unconventional ways to spread out your base personnel and just get an athletic advantage against you in space. And, uh, you know, if your offensive line can hold up and, and stop pass rushers, 
you know, especially if you're only keeping five in to protect the quarterback, and now you get these dangerous guys in space, well, you can eat a defense up that way, and I would think James Cook probably can play that style. It's a matchup game, Bob, as we all know. You talk to anybody, that's one of the first things they say. It's a matchup game, and I'm so glad you mentioned empty sets, which more and more teams are doing now in the NFL. In fact, the two teams that lined up in empty the most this year played in the Super Bowl, the Rams and the Bengals. And James Cook this year had a 23-yard touchdown versus Tennessee and a 53-yard reception versus Michigan in the bowl game out of empty sets where he was split outside the numbers. Yep. Hey, Makai Polk, I had Mississippi State this year, diminutive wide receiver, but right, he began his career in a Mike Leach system at Cal. Yep. I know he transferred to Mississippi State when Mike Leach left Wazoo, ends up coming down to play for him one year in Starkville, but had a very productive season. And I think just wide-angle lens, Makai Polk being a good example, there used to be a bias in the NFL against players that came from the air raid system. Now you see the air raid DNA in actual NFL offenses. I would think that would make an air raid wide receiver a much more attractive potential prospect than this guy might have been thought of 5, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I knew nothing about him. Uh, Bob, when I put on the tape, other than what his measurables were. He's over 6'3". He's a little thin. Um, his 40-yard dash time was nothing special, but you can say that a lot of, about a lot of really good NFL wideouts, by the way. Um, and you mentioned the, the Mike Leach air raid. You know, Some people still hold that against players. And, and he only lines up in one place. That's the other thing. He lined up on the right side of the formation as the outside receiver. But I thought he showed some detail and nuance as a route runner. He's got length. He's got really good body control. I thought he had really good route quickness. Um, I really liked his tape a lot. Now, people are going to say, well, he didn't run a complete route tree. You know, very few receivers, as you know, Bob, in college football run complete route trees because the college game is so different. But I thought that for the routes he did run, there was a route savvy to him. He showed the ability, I'll tell you, at 6'3", which is long, I thought he showed the ability to stop on a dime, and I thought he could win versus man coverage. He's a guy that the more tape I watched, the more I liked him. And he ended up being one of my favorite guys to watch, who's obviously not a day one pick. Yeah, interesting, because that even educates me. I thought I remembered him maybe just looked shorter to me. I would have guessed he was more in the six foot six one category. So the fact that he's a legit 6'3", makes him, I think, even more of an interesting prospect. What about Kyle Phillips, wide receiver from UCLA? A guy uh, that I do remember being diminutive. I, I do think that that is an accurate description, right, of Kyle Phillips. He's he's a little on the smaller side, but, yep. I mean, we, we've talked about some guys that are, you know, six foot or shorter already in this draft that you think are potential first-round receiver prospects. Yeah, and we've talked about the fact that, that the slot receiver, that there's very few guys who you just kind of say are slot receivers now because of what the NFL has become with the formation variation and how they use receivers. But he's probably a slot receiver. And boy, does he look refined right now. You know, a number of years ago when Cooper Cup came out of Eastern Washington, I said that he could roll out of bed and play in the slot right now. I felt the same way watching Kyle Phillips. Now he's not quite Cup because Cup was, I believe, 6'2 or so. Phillips is 5'11 and a quarter and 189. So he's a much smaller man than Cooper Cup. But in some ways, I think he can fill the same role right as a rookie. He's polished. He's nuanced. As a route runner, he's got an innate feel for setting up corners before his break. He gets them off their spot. That creates separation. 
I really, really liked his tape. Um, you know, again, another guy that's not going to run great. That's just not his game. Um, but it would not surprise me if whoever drafted him, he played significant snaps as a rookie with a meaningful target share because I think you can line this guy up in the slot tomorrow. That's what this podcast is all about. Greg Cosell telling you about diamonds in the rough, and we've got some more of those guys that might not be guys that whose names you hear called on day one, but you will hear many of these names called throughout the draft. And if you want to sound smarter than all your buddies sitting around watching the draft and realize your team got a good one, we'll talk about maybe on the defensive side of the ball some more diamonds in the rough when we come back on Tapehead's draft season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We are back on Tapehead's draft season. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. Diamonds in the rough that Greg has found heading into the 2022 NFL draft. Talked about a bunch of offensive guys outside of Neil Farrell in our second segment. Let's get to some defensive guys. They're not surprisingly a few SEC guys that Greg still wants to touch on, but we're going to start with a team that went to the college football playoff, Cincinnati and safety Brian Cook. Yeah, he was one of my absolute favorite guys to watch on tape. And obviously Cincinnati, I think, had five defenders who were at the Combine. They could all be drafted in the top 90 or 100. I think that that Cook, to me, is going to end up being one of the best safeties that comes out of this draft. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and you don't see this a lot, Bob, you do a lot of college games, you know, every week. You do not see safeties who are really good tacklers. You see safeties that like to throw their body at guys for big hits. But I thought that Cook was a really good tackler. And when you talk about tackling, you're talking about balance body control, squaring up to take down runners and receivers. And he played with an attitude. He's a tempo setter for a defense. He's physical. He's competitive. And I think there's two main questions when you look at Brian Cook. Uh, Can he match up man-to-man to quality receiving tight ends, especially when they're detached from the formation? He certainly has the size and length to do that. And if you like to play with interchangeable safeties, which more teams would like to do, 
Can he be a viable post safety as part of your foundational defense? My sense watching the tape is the answer to both is yes. Um, And I think he's one of those guys that will be a starter early in his career, and he'll develop into a multidimensional safety and be a really good one. Another guy that kind of fits the bill in the middle of your defense, Jacoby McLean, linebacker for Auburn, who I had Auburn this past season. Trying to think of who they play. They might have played against Mississippi State, as a matter of fact, now that I'm thinking about it. I think I had that game. So he was probably running sideline to sideline trying to stop Mike Leach's air raid in that game. But uh, his last couple of seasons, he's been a tackle machine, if I remember right, at Auburn. And he's at the bottom end of what most people would say are the parameters to play linebacker in the NFL as a starter. He's under six feet. He's 5'11", 3'8". He's 228. I'm sure a lot of people would have wished his 40-yard dash time of 4'69 was better given his measurables in terms of height and weight. But this guy plays fast. You wouldn't say he's a great athlete or a sudden athlete, but he's a constant movement guy. He can play sideline to sideline. There was never any hesitation in his reaction time. That made his play speed and range far more than functional, despite that that lack of higher level athleticism that I mentioned. And I thought he had a great feel for playing in the box, scraping and flowing from gap to gap. He worked through traffic. I thought in the right scheme, he could develop into an NFL starter. Obviously, at 228 and under six feet, you're not, he's not a thumper, but we know in the NFL game that that style of linebacker is not really in that kind of demand anymore. But I really liked watching his tape. And if you play a lot of zone coverage, I think he could be really a factor for you. So that's Kobe McLean staying in the SEC. Matthew Butler ah. from Tennessee as a defensive tackle. He does have NFL defensive end type measurables maybe a 3-4 defensive end an interior guy and a 4-3 like how how do you think Matthew Butler projects to the NFL yeah I I think this guy's an ascending player I really liked his tape I think he can function in one gap schemes in two gap schemes what he did exceptionally well Bob and we talk about this a lot with interior D linemen is he could control and displace offensive linemen he used his hands exceptionally well they were strong they were heavy he's got tremendous length to him he's six four his arm length and arm length matters because think of it this way if you have long arms and you're trying to control and displace an offensive lineman the longer your arms are the more you can keep your feet clean because you can stay a further distance away because your arms are longer so he could stalemate he could defeat double teams he played off blocks exceptionally well with that ability to displace. I think there was a little bit of pass rush to him that can be unlocked because he could slide off and rush the quarterback, and he played with great competitiveness, and he had some range to him running plays down. Um, I, I think he's a higher-level prospect. I'm fascinated to see where he gets drafted. And again, we're not talking about day one guys here. Right. He might not even be day two. I don't know that. But I think he's going to play in this league, and he's going to be a factor as an interior D lineman. Teams are always looking for edge rushers, right? There are going to be two edge rushers probably taken in the top five of this draft. So if you can find an edge rusher, an effective edge rusher, day two, day three, I mean, that pick alone is you know, warrants the GM his salary, right? So let's go to a couple of guys that you think might have that kind of potential. 
Uh, Nick Benito from Oklahoma. Yeah, Nick Benito, he's got the look and feel of an edge rusher. He's sudden, he's explosive, he's got great length at 6'3", he's got natural bend, that's something you look for, and he's got outstanding closing burst. See, what he can do, and and this is something I look for and I think probably coaches look for as well, is you want to be able to flatten your rush path when you attack the outside or the high side of, of offensive tackles. And he can turn on his inside foot at the top of his rush arc and then flatten to the quarterback without losing any speed. And that's what you really would love to see. Um, now, some will say that he needs to improve his play strength, which he may well have to do. Even though he came in at 248 at the combine, he does have kind of a sleek-looking build. But keep one thing in mind, Bob. When you're that quick, a lot of times you can get offensive tackles to break down their technique and be a little off balance. And if they're off balance, then you can use speed to power. Even if you're not a physically strong, powerful human being yourself, if you get an offensive tackle off balance, then you can drive right into him, right into his chest plate, and you can move him because he's off balance. And I think Benito can do that. How about D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky when you talk about a smaller school guy but as an edge rusher? Yeah, and what stood out with him is he's got phenomenal lower body flexibility. And I think that's really, really important when you think about pass rushers because you have to be able to transition, change direction. You have to be smooth in doing so. You know, just to make a comparison, and obviously D'Angelo Malone will not be a first-round pick, and the player I will mention could well be, and that's George Karloftis. One of the things that stood out about Karloftis to me was he did not have lower body flexibility. Malone does, and he's another player that's long, excellent arm length. Um, I think he's going to be really interesting. I spoke to a GM who said for sure he'll be a day two pick. Now, again, you never know, but this was a GM and they're they're probably a little more clued in than I am, Bob. But um, I think he's at his best as a wide edge player where he has space and room to keep his legs clean, generate speed and velocity that maximizes his quickness and fluidity of movement. But I noticed as I watched more and more tape, they also used him as what we call a joker on third down where he stood up behind the defensive line and kind of picked and chose where he rushed. And they used him as part of stunts that way as well. So he can develop into a multi-dimensional pass rusher. And one last offensive guy, quick touch on Tyrion Davis-Price, running back LSU. Yeah, he, um, again, another guy I watched very late in the process because he's not a name I've seen people talk about very much at all. I don't think you've seen his name talked about either much at all. And I was really impressed with this guy. I mean, he's got higher level combination of size, speed, power. He's a big athletic back. He's got burst acceleration. He ran with natural bend for a back over six feet. He's got a physical presence to him. He finished runs. He dropped his pads. Um, you know, this guy has premium talent. And I'm and again, he's probably not a pass receiver. Uh, so that's going to drop him, I'm sure, in terms of the way people see him. But I really liked his tape. And again, he did a lot of this in the SEC. The last half of his season at LSU, when they gave him the ball and he carried numerous games over 20 times, he was a very impressive player. All right. So you've made guys who are football nerds even nerdier. They're going to look brilliant when (laughs) they bring these names up to their buddies when they're watching the draft. Uh, 
We've got a lot more to talk about between now and draft time, though. That'll do it for this episode. But when we come back with our next episode dropping on Thursday, we'll get back to the top of the board. Talk about some of the biggest prospects, the SEC guys, the quarterbacks. No one better to talk about that with than Greg McElroy, who, along with Cole Kubelik, they do mornings in uh, Birmingham, and they are going to join us. Uh, at least uh, Greg is going to join us at our Thursday episode to take a deeper dive. Top of the board, the SEC and everything that we've been talking about in terms of philosophy of the draft as well, as we will bring you another episode of Tapehead's Draft Season on Thursday. Please rate, subscribe, tell us maybe some players you'd still like to hear about as we head up towards draft night, which is only a week and a half away now. It is Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. We will see you again Thursday on Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.